Welcome to the Good Start Podcast. I'm Barney Nelson with another amazing story of how blockchain is being used to change people's lives. Mango farmers in Haiti get 2% of what their products are sold for on the wholesale market. How can we fix that and make sure that there's a more equal redistribution of income using blockchain to build trust and automation in the farming supply chain? Also, how can we get farmers better access to financial services and reduce waste, all using the same answer? It's a pleasure to have Genevieve from AgriLedger here today to explain how. So Genevieve, thank you very much for joining us today and welcome to the Good Start podcast. Good morning and uh, thank you very much for having me. AgriLedger was alleged to have grown out of a 48-hour hackathon. Can we maybe just talk first about the worlds uh, that AgriLedger is there to serve? The hackathon was very interesting in that the question had been, how would you use technology that we have today to be able to really impact the life of millions? And what the whole world is impacted by is access to food. So uh, we thought that going into the agricultural space, which we all realize is very complex in terms of the supply chain and overlaying that with the new technology at the time. It was 2016. So blockchain was really just starting to become a bit more than blockchain. It was now becoming distributed ledger technology. And it was also starting to become more than just a store of value, but store of information. And as we know, data is recognized as one of the most important things. And if you can have trust in data, then you can really start processing things uh, in a straight-through manner. What's the solution that you're aiming to bring then, if you've got the high-level view of, of, of STP? If we start thinking of the producer's goods as an asset, this is about an asset creation, an asset escrow, and an asset transfer. It happens to be that the fruit or the food is an asset by which somebody is now getting money uh, for the work that they have done. This happens already, but part of the problem is that uh, ownership is given early in the chain in order to be able to assure payments. So the stats are about 40% is what a farmer will get. And that sometimes is even lower. That 40% is the value that he gets in, but that doesn't take into account the cost that he has to put in for new supplies or any work that has to be done to get to that commodity to be created. So essentially, there's a 60% haircut on just on the farmer needing to gain access to liquidity ultimately. Exactly. And that 60% haircut is when we're looking at the wholesale price, we're not looking at the retail price. I'll use as an example the Haiti, which is even worse than the uh, 60%. At this time, the farmers are getting about five cents a kilo and the price on the wholesale market is probably about $3, which means about 98% of it is lost throughout the chain. The reason is, if I'm not sure I'm going to get paid, that I'm giving you my stuff and I have no way of tracking it and I don't know if you're going to come back and I'm waiting for you to come back with my money, I'd rather take money today. 
versus if there is a fundamental application system which allows for it to demonstrate what is mine and then provide me with assurance that I will get paid sooner than six months down the line, I can then feel much more comfortable and take that risk. With also the chain, the blockchain and the processes that we're putting in, they get paid faster and they are assured their payment. So what we're looking to do is to smooth out the margins to where the network provider of either logistic or the broker are being compensated for the work that they do. And by compensating them fairly, you then allow for the farmer to get a bigger share. Through assured payment, you're taking away the need for the farmer to seek out cash in hand. And that's probably worth about 60% of the overall cost. Uh, Yes, The World Bank did this on spreadsheets and they found that they were able to increase eight to 10 times the income of the farmer. I think we're going to be looking at 10 to 15 times by my calculation in terms of what can be done. Now, this is not something revolutionary new in terms of uh, market pricing. If we look at the flower market in Holland, That's how it functions. You send your goods in, they're sold at market price. So the opportunity through the blockchain is to move the agricultural supply chain to be much more of a shared economy. Part of what we're looking also at is working with banks for the factoring aspect. Obviously, there's going to be a receivable as soon as the goods are sold. And if we can bring in the factoring, then we can deal with the issues at hand, you know, the payment terms that usually will be put in by supermarkets. So to walk through the big picture, you've got participants of the agricultural supply chain, first of all, are known, so they have an identity. Second of all, because of the ability to transmit data amongst themselves, you have the benefit of assured payment and therefore you remove the kind of liquidity premium of somebody having cash in hand. And then you also, on the back end, you facilitate the shared economy and you go as far as allowing banks to actually treat these as reliable at assets and therefore start factoring and everything else. Is that right? That is correct. But presumably also that has the ancillary benefits of A, reducing waste. Presumably if you have a farmer who can't find cash in hand at that specific moment, has to wait for a day or a week or whatever, you know, the perishable goods, you know, could be wasted. But as you said, also, you you have the fact that the farmer by accumulating a a record of payments incoming and outgoing can actually start to generate credit records and histories to the point where they become viable participants in the wider financial markets. Yes, uh, you're absolutely correct. What we're looking to do, though, is provide the ability for the farmer to own their own record and then share them with those who need to see. So it will be held at the farmer's wallet and he then has an opportunity to share it Can we maybe walk through what that would look like on a daily basis then? The way we visualize is that the farmer would have the app, but it would be where he has been registered to the app. This is the piece of land or the tree that is being worked on by that farmer. So what we do is we're providing information to say what is the expected yield. Once the it's ready for harvest, there is going to be a call out to have the provider of the services come in 
and actually do the picking and the weighing and everything else will be done at that point so that the farmer is aware of how much has been taken from his property or from his street and agrees to that. What the cold chain provider will need to provide, and this is the Haiti uh, process, will need to be certain temperatures need to be met, certain processes have to be done. So the cleaning, the, the sizing, all those things have to be done in order to assure that it actually makes it to the market in the right way. And this will really depend based on the commodity. So what you do with mango and avocado will be different from what you do in rice, wheat, or cocoa. So we are looking at where you become agnostic to what actually the commodity is. It's more what is the process that that commodity needs to follow in order to be able to be tracked. And that information then, as you said, becomes not only valuable to the distributor or to the logistics provider, but also to the banks who are financing the whole supply chain in the first place and so on and so forth. And also the customer. So you and I as a customer, when we go in, we can understand if it's ethical that there is fair distribution of revenue. If I'm paying X, that I know that you know the farmer has been well compensated. And two, it also gives you information such as what has been the different costs throughout the value chain. So you start understanding it. Imagine you can now see throughout that this item that I'm buying, this percentage of it was given to the person who worked on picking it. So it's almost a new form of fair trade because it is really defining how the transparency of all the participant without having to reveal all the information about the participants. Yeah, it's kind of clear trade rather than fair trade. Exactly. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) The role of blockchain is or DLT is fairly clear, but can we maybe talk about why DLT is, is such a key part of this platform? Blockchain is an enabler of what you're calling the clear trade. All participants can be assured that it was right at the time of it being put in and you can always rectify it versus if you don't have a sense of trust, you don't believe everything and you're checking everything. We should say it's not just blockchain. We are going to be using IoT. As we're tracking the crops, there is a sensor which is tracking the location and also the temperature. That information is then getting recorded onto the blockchain. Those are things that are not possible with centralized databases. It's it's fine to have STP, but you can have it today without trust. In the agri-ledger context, you can have the STP and trust because of the immutability of the blockchain. Correct. I'm Barney Nilsson. I hope you're enjoying this Good Start podcast. So far, we've heard about the big picture and the reasons why blockchain was a necessary part of the solution. We're going to go on now to hear about the practicalities of using blockchain and using the solution in the real world. Before we do, though, one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to make sure that you have a chance to get involved. So please do reach out. If you'd like to get in touch or involved in any way, Look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or friend us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks and back to the podcast. One of the points that strikes me in the example of uh, the Haiti Mango's supply chain, even that 
example has many, many actors in the chain, as you mentioned, you know, where you've got the, the landowner, the land, the farmer, the pickers, the logistics providers all the way through wholesale down to the retail level. How do you go about including each of the actors in that and bringing them into the story, if you like? One of the examples that was given to me is years ago in Kenya for the flower market, the flower pickers would sell their goods to to a local a middle person who would then get them to Holland. A few years back, that changed to where the logistic provider became just a logistic provider, which is well compensated for doing that work. And he gets it quickly to market and market prices receive. And as such, the farmers are getting a fairer share and a bigger share. I think that once you start having that trickle-down economy, you can then start bringing in other uh, participants in there, which are part of the value chain. But if you can concentrate first on the major players, which is the producer, the logistic provider, the broker or the seller, and the the buyer, cost can now be much more clearer and much Mm -hmm. more transparent to where you can see a reduction in prices Airbnb has created that in that certain hotels are no longer charging you outrageous prices. And I would expect that once we start having that, we could see that in the food market. But beside the financial pieces, knowing where the food is. So with the Haiti project and also with China, we're looking at commodities which are rare and desirable. But we should also be looking at commodities which people need to be able to eat and understand where they are so that we can reduce waste. Because that's another big issue. If we don't change things by 2050, we will not have enough food to feed the world. The fundamental problem is that we don't know where it is or it doesn't get to the market fast enough because there isn't the mechanism for assuring that it's getting to market, that it's getting picked up from the farmer. So that's why the idea of cold chain or logistical chain are also very important because you can overlay through the process a mechanism by recognizing where it is in the in the supply chain or in the value chain. In that context, you're talking, I think, the China rice example is, is targeting about 5,000 farmers. Is that right? It's targeting about 5,000 farmers. And so, so you're talking about a scale that's, that's obviously multiples of the, of the Haiti example. What obstacles do you see to scaling it out? Uh, I think that scaling it out means that we have to recognize what we are, which is really uh, software as a service. You have to create trust relationship with other entities to be able to have them deliver and then you allows you to concentrate on doing your business. What I think is important is to demonstrate first capability. Then from there, you're able to uh, expand and scale. So that's why we're very interested in a global reach rather than just looking at one continent, because it will help form the knowledge that is necessary to allow for the flexibility. And so in the China example, where do you actually start? I mean, do you, do you actually start by approaching the farmers or the uh, logistics providers? Step one, we've actually started in a B2B model in that it is a producer 
he has contracted with the farmers for their production and he works with them to go and pick it up when it's ready and then packages it and sells it to market. One of the uh, key things when you talk about this rice is people say to you, "This, this rice is grown in a very specific region and very limited. So if I'm telling you this is A, and there and you know that there's a whole bunch of other A pretending you're not going to pay me full value for A. But now imagine that I can demonstrate to you with assurance that this is what it says it is, and you're able to track back the whole journey. You're then going to be willing to go at multiple, which are much higher than what the normal rice is at, and you start rooting out those who are fake. I understand you right. Authenticity carries a premium that the producer is able to include into the cost of their goods on selling it. A few weeks back, I was in New York at NYU waiting to go into a meeting and they had something on the board, which I found very fascinating. It was they were measuring what authenticity does on a mindset. And they had measured that music and uh, other goods. If I have a doubt that something is what it says it is, because I know there are fakes in the market, I am going to be wary of even what is original. If you have doubt, you start flipping that doubt and then the value that you provide to that authentic item is changed because you don't know, is it for real or if it's not for real. If I can prove to you that it's authentic, then you are not going to devalue it in the mm. same way. No, that is, that's fascinating. As you said, behaviorally, it, it changes the entire marketplace. If the turnover is 100 today with a very limited degree of confidence and authenticity, what we're saying is it could be 130 or 150 tomorrow because of the fact that people will pay the real providers properly and the other ones will just gradually disappear. Yep. Where we were talking about the transition of the network providers or logistics providers from owners of goods to on-sell to more of an escrow arrangement where they are literally just transporters of somebody else's goods, how have they reacted to that, particularly from a compensation perspective? (laughs) Well, the compensation is actually pretty good. They're getting a contracted price, but with that also comes penalties for failure to deliver. They have certain uh, temperatures that they have to keep and they're agreeing to those and those are being captured. And that's where you now have the real power of the blockchain, for lack of a better word, the smart contract, which is then allowing you in the straight through processing to enforce uh, contractual covenants that have been put in place. Once you have all this data online, you can actually go into dispute resolution in a much cheaper and faster way. We have a lot of dispute that happen and the costs, you know, if you think of court costs and time costs, all those things. So instead of somebody actually being doing the work, they're sitting there having to go to court. Now, if you can start using the internet and you can start using this data that you know is the truth, not only are you going to reduce frivolous litigation, but uh, warranted litigation can be handled judiciously 
with low yeah. cost. So STP, even in litigation, basically. Just to double check then, so Old World, we're talking about a producer looking to a logistics provider as somebody who they just buy from. And the logistics provider is it's 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 all behind the scenes, but ultimately they they pick up stuff, um, they wear the cost of some of it uh, in food case going bad, but ultimately they sell on what they can. In a new world, you're talking about a producer who receives goods, having contracted a logistics provider to make sure that definite conditions are met in terms of temperature and other things, so that basically there's less waste, more transparency, and as you said, complete evidence in case there actually is a problem and they need to actually go into arbitration. Yes. And yeah. then you have the broker on the other side who's working for the producer to sell the goods of the producer and get the best price. And so if you take either example or, or say the China China rice example, where do you think this can get to in, say, five years? I think that this is something which is developing. Uh, it's uh, To me, it's also, however, about actualization and implementation. So that's what we're working very hard on. But I believe uh, you're seeing many of those aspects. Uh, if we look at what Walmart has requested, anyone who sells to produce to uh, Walmart will have to have this evidence into a blockchain. I think what blockchain gives us is what the internet didn't give us, which was the trust factor. We can get a lot of information from the internet, but we don't know what is real. But it isn't the only piece of the equation. I think that IoT and machine learning AI are part of it. And so one last question. What's the role of standards ultimately in, in this whole equation? Because if you have one provider of STP matching up against another of S, another provider of STP in the same supply chain, how do we avoid that becoming a, a, a limitation to scale? Working with the organizations like Government of Haiti supported by the World Bank will allow us to help work with them in creating standards. We have deliverables in terms of making sure that we are at the standards. There is the ISO going on around blockchain, but I'm not sure that it's defining it yet at the level that is necessary. Right now, obviously, we're still living in the wild, wild west. But I think that in order for this to be uh, successful, we will have to all conform. Yeah, it's a fascinating journey, I think, in terms of picturing, you know, step one, step two, and, and how this plays out. Thank you very much for talking through it as clearly as you have. It's been my pleasure. And thank you very much for giving me the forum to do so. I'm Barney Nelson, and thanks for listening to this week's Good Start episode. Next week, there'll be another amazing story about how blockchain is being used for good. And so make sure to join us then. In the meantime, if you'd like to get involved, look us up on thevalueexchange.co slash goodstart or on LinkedIn or Facebook. Thanks, and see you next week. Mm-hmm.